Hello, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about a project very near and dear to me. At the end of this episode of Five Things, we'll play a clip from Six Feet Over, a special episode of Gray Matter that you can check out on the Gray Matter podcast feed. Welcome to the Five Things. It's this week in social. We dive deep into five topics in social and tell you what you need to know so that you can tell your friends and family. I heard this interesting thing on a podcast. It's the Holiday Party Pod. Amanda Davis always lets us play reindeer games. Hi, Amanda. Hey, Joey. Happy holidays. Tommy Boyce has trolled the ancient Yuletide carols. Hi, Tommy. Making the Yuletide gay one day at a time, Joey. And Beth is making spirits bright. Hi, Beth. Hi. Happy holidays, friends. All right. I'm Joey Scarillo. I made a list and checked it twice. Here are the five things. Tommy talks TikTok, who published their 2021 music recap. Amanda breaks down Instagram's Danceify, a new option for Reels. Beth gets into Meta, who opened up AR creation tools to more users. Tommy gives us what we really need to know about LinkedIn's Gen Z best practices report. And finally, Amanda tells us about Elf and their meme-heavy holiday movie made for TikTok. All right, Tommy, what did TikTok publish? So TikTok published their 2021 music report, which detailed many of the ways in which TikTok has become a dominating force in music and in the music industry. Now, the report said 430 songs exceeded 1 billion video views on the platform this year, three times as many songs as last year. And some of the most popular songs in that bracket were viewed as much as 20 billion times. What's crazy is that these views don't just exist in a vacuum. Over 175 songs that trended on TikTok in 2021 charted on the Billboard Hot 100, twice as many as last year. TikTok took credit for launching artists like Ty Verdes and Pink Panthers, both of whom make bangers through the use of their songs on the platform. And according to the report, TikTok remained the top source of music discovery for fans of all backgrounds. The most popular artists on the platform are not really surprising. You know, it's Megan Thee Stallion, Olivia Rodrigo, Doja Cat, and classic songs like Ross Boutine, Just the Two of Us, and More Than a Woman continue to speak to a new generation. The report highlighted how emerging songwriters post material on the app, subcultures like Swifties and the hyperpop girlies, and it's all worth a read. It's really fascinating. I think my main takeaway, besides, again, that, you know, it's TikTok's world and we're all just living in it, brands and advertisers interested in using the platform need to realize that audio is our way in. One of the reasons TikTok is just so disruptive is the fact that there hasn't really been an app of its kind before, one that is so audio-centric, and it's taken time for us to get used to this and adapt to it. It can seem pretty daunting to keep up with the audio trends that happen on the app. There's like a dozen major ones going on at the same time, but we should at least try. And if not, we should use the insight that audio is the key to reaching people on the app and fostering connections. It's how people communicate. It's no longer, have you seen this Vine? It's, oh, do you know that TikTok audio that goes, you know, X, Y, and Z? So I think it's just a reminder that music is such a force on the app and audio is, and I think it's how we should continue to see the app in the future. Oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. So this is the future of audio. And I'm curious, you know, this feels a little bit to me like, you know, uh, I don't know, 
five years ago, we were saying the similar thing about how Spotify was taking over audio. I'm curious what you think, uh, Beth, what you think this means for the future of music and the industry. You know, I actually read a stat the other day that was something to the effect of people can ingest 60,000 images in like 10 seconds. And so it makes us scroll really fast. And I think the role of audio is also making us stop a little bit and, and you know, connect with a post in a way that isn't just kind of mindless scrolling, but that's actually catches you and, and sticks with you. I've been a fan of the jingle forever. I like bring back the jingle. And I sort of think that this is kind of our new our new jingle of the 2020th century, 22nd century, whatever century we're in, 2020s, um, are these like catchy, you know, culturally driven audio clips. Yes. Jingle all the way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm all over them today. Amanda, uh, curious your, your hot take on this. Yeah, I think this, to Tommy's point and to Beth's point, like kind of signals this trend. Uh, Trend is kind of a light word. I would say this evolution in how people are using social media, sound on, um, you know, very niche specific genres of music. I think it also, um, you know, should make brands think about their music strategy, you know, having something in place, whether it's for digital video content, social content, TikTok content, creator content, and understanding, you know, we're so used to saying this is our message, this is how we're saying it, this is our audience, et cetera. And part of that should be, you know, what genre are we tapping into? Are we using country music? Are we using hyperpop? Are we using K-pop? Are we using something else that might feel like it gets us in front of the audience that we're talking to? And being very, um, you know, choiceful about the way that we make those decisions based on our campaign and who we're trying to talk to. Yeah, and... Um... I think that's great, Amanda. So speaking of um, the way we use music, why don't we switch over now to the second thing, talk about Instagram testing Danceify. Why don't you uh, break that down for us? Danceify, um, once again, another chapter of perhaps not the most uh, engaging name, but Instagram is testing. Let me clarify. They are testing this feature that an app researcher has discovered that would basically allow users to what they're calling Danceify their reels clips to any music track. And really what this is, is uh, very similar to TikTok's auto sync option, which is originally what the platform Triller was really well known for is syncing up beats in the music with beats in your video so that as a creator, you don't have to have really in-depth technical knowledge of how to match up, uh, you know, your audio and your video. And it kind of does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. So it's not a feature that we have not seen before. Um, It is a feature that would be if launched new to um, Instagram. And obviously, again, they're going after those creators that are making music-focused content on TikTok um, and other websites. So it's not incredibly surprising. But again, it is a move that when Instagram thinks about their creators, this would make it a lot easier for them to make more content, make content quicker, and specifically make content in the app. And I think, you know, we talk a lot around creators and where their content lives. But what's really important too is where they are actually physically creating the content in the back end. You know, Instagram, we know that their algorithm 
supports content that was made natively in the app. For instance, a picture that was captured on Instagram stories or a video that was edited in reels. Um, So this is important to think about when we're, you know, considering are we cross promoting a video across multiple platforms? Are we trying to get the reach that uh, a native a natively creative piece of content would get on each platform. It's just, it's a backend piece that is worth considering. Um, and this makes it a little bit easier for creators. Tommy, do you think something like this would stick? I do think this would stick. I mean, it's a great feature on TikTok. Like I just made a TikTok the other day, which is very rare for me. And I hit the little audio sync button and it worked. And I posted it. It was very easy. So I think adding that new feature to Instagram, it will allow creators who don't have, you know, video editing tools or the know-how to sync or the time even just to sync audio with music. It's a way to make quick, creative, easy content. I think this also is, it's not just a chapter and, you know, like, oh, not the best name, which is true. It's not the most exciting name, but also it's a chapter in Instagram kind of, you know, maybe we say borrowing from TikTok and kind of using it for their own platform. Um, There was an interesting thing yesterday where Instagram reportedly hit 2 billion users which is a big milestone, except for the fact that um, they reached 1 billion in 2018. So it's taken three years to reach another billion users, where TikTok has reached you know, 1 billion in about a year and a half and will probably hit 1.5 by next summer. So I think it's just another case of Instagram is trying to follow in the footsteps of its competitor. And these moves do make sense. I'm just wondering, like, it will certainly have traction. I'm wondering if it's though, is it gonna help new people use the platform as opposed to TikTok, the platform they're trying to, you know, take inspiration from. Or did a billion people just make Finstagram accounts in the past three years? <laughs> Speaking of Instagram and uh, the larger meta, let's talk about how uh, they opened up simplified AR creation tools for more users. Beth, tell us about that. Yeah, so sticking with the theme, Meta is trying with all its might to encourage more creators into um, the AR ecosystem, but also to create natively in Instagram and Facebook. And to do so, they have opened up Spark AR Go app. It's in closed beta right now, um, which means anyone can create their own AR effects for Instagram with a, a kind of simplified flow. Um, this This should let creators, you know, create their own assets, have their own kind of creative vision, um, and, and brand themselves even better than they would be able to, uh, without these creative tools. Um, they could create their own backgrounds. They can create their own personalized makeup looks. So all of the kind of AR that we're used to seeing as effects, you would be able to create your own. Um, I think this really speaks to, Again, you know, Meta has been known to kind of be playing catch up and and pulling out these capabilities that we see on other apps and bringing them to theirs to continuously try to stay relevant. Um, Meta's really trying to reach a younger audience and reestablish that connection with the youths. And this is another attempt at that. I think as, as advertisers and as brands, this, this opens up a new ability for us to create in Instagram and, and create content that's a little bit more personalized to the brand. Tommy, what do you think? Is Meta giving the people what they want here? 
I think it's giving some people what they want. Um, I think, I think, listen, AR is the future. And I was looking the other day in an article by about uh, Ninantic, who people probably know from Pokemon Go back in 2016, the last, you know, good time of our lives that summer. And it was talking about how that was basically baby's first AR. It was a way to really introduce it seamlessly to people. And I didn't even think of it as such back at the time. But now I was like, oh, that was my first time really, you know, also besides maybe like a Nintendo 3DS to pull out that old reference, seeing AR in real life. So I think people might not adapt to this as fast as maybe Meta wanted to in the way Meta is pushing it. But I think they're going to be creators on that platform who will use it. And people just slowly start seeing it in their feed and the content they consume and slowly start realizing like, oh, this is something I've known for a while, something I could pick up myself. And it's just kind of a new way of just operating in the internet. So I think in a roundabout way, I think it's giving people what they want and also giving people the tools they will use throughout the future in a pretty, you know, streamlined, accessible way. Amanda, is Meta ahead of the curve here or are they behind the curve? So they're, I think they're right at the curve, Joey, um, especially when we think about their future as a metaverse platform. Um, you know, this is following some offerings, for instance, um, like Instagram, where users can create their own AR filters, which has obviously become really popular and push that piece of technology into something that is used very often in the platform. Um, but on the other side of it, from a metaverse perspective, this is a little bit similar to how um, a lot of games are built on an engine called Unreal Engine, and anybody can kind of tap into and use that physics engine to build their own game or experience. So when you open up a lot of the resources and technology and backend for the community to create their own experiences, we always see more creativity. We always see more new uses of the technology versus if... Um, meta were to hold the spark resources very closely and kind of uh, gatekeep them for lack of a better word um so i think this is not unsurprising especially when you think about the future of a metaverse really does need to be decentralized um so when they open up this uh tech opportunity they are opening it up to creators to the community to the people who will interact with that platform um, and I think that we'll see more decentralization. It's kind of what we've been talking about with Twitter too, but I think when it comes from Facebook, AR, and Meta, we'll be seeing more uh, democratization and decentralization of the resources so that more people come in and, and utilize the, the platform. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, all right, let's move right along. We're just moving and grooving today. Um, as our resident, self-proclaimed resident uh, Gen Z representative, uh, Tommy, why don't you talk to us about LinkedIn publishing their Gen Z best practices report? This is interesting. Yeah, I see you giving uh, the Gen Z things that Gen Z can. Okay, representation matters. Um, so LinkedIn released <laughs> a report detailing just how we, Gen Z, you know, the royal we, whatever, use the platform and the kinds of content that resonate with us. I'm just going to use us. We. I'm 22, Gen Z. Okay. Gen please Z do, please do. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, Gen Z actually is the fastest growing global audience demographic on LinkedIn, something I had no idea about. There are 78 million global Gen Zers on LinkedIn, roughly 10% of the platform's member base. Soon, Gen Z will become the largest generation of consumers, which is something that we've talked about, but we're currently accounting for already $143 billion in direct spending. Uh, the report details that Gen Z generally likes LinkedIn, 
they view the platform as trustworthy. And over three quarters say that they're interested in following companies and companies and organizations that post valuable content on their pages. For social media uh, activities related to networking, learning, and research, Gen Zers prefer LinkedIn over other channels. The report says that compared to their peers, Gen Z is more focused on their career and their industry on LinkedIn. They're tech savvy and research oriented. And compared to the same generation on other platforms, Gen Zers on LinkedIn have a strong entrepreneurial mindset and are more likely to be interested in topics like finance, investment, and business. And in addition to cultivating a growth mindset, they also value transparency and authenticity and want to be a part of something larger than themselves. They're advocates for equal rights and social justice, and they want to know what's going on in the world around them. Um, also, I think a good thing worth noting, finally, is that Gen Zers tend to follow pages that discuss industry trends and engage in general thought leadership. And I think a lot of this tracks based off my own personal experience as you know a member of Gen Z and seeing how my friends use and talk about the platform. I'm wondering what y'all think about this report, and if, if you have any questions on Gen Z in general, I am I am here to answer them. You're an open book, uh, yeah, Beth. I'm curious what what you what you think of this and what your key takeaway was. I think that um, first of all, data person jumping in here, it's not surprising that we've seen Gen Z joining the platform, considering what the platform's used for, and that Gen Z is now kind of at the age where they're looking for jobs and entering the workforce. So I think that data point may seem more impactful than it actually is. It's probably more just what we should have expected. Everything you're saying, Tommy, does line up with all the research that we've done on Gen Z. I think it'll be interesting to see how a younger generation influences the way that employers need to show up to get the best talent. We know right now that it's it's a employee's market. You know, everyone is looking for the best talent. There's the great resignations going on. And I think that there's a lot of power in this younger generation, given their spending power, but also given their kind of entrepreneurial mindset and kind of raw talent that we have entering the industry. So it will be interesting to see now that we have data around what this generation cares about, how companies react. I think that's that, that's absolutely right, Beth. Um, Amanda, what was your takeaway? So I also think too, when we think about Gen Z and to Beth's point, entering the workforce, we also have to understand that we're almost two years into a global pandemic where hundreds of thousands of Gen Z has graduated high school and or college and does not have that hands-on interactivity that would help mentor, provide guidance, give advice, you know, talk about the industry and trends in it. So it's almost out of function, too, that we have to think about how this generation is receiving information around, um, you know, professional-related information, I guess you could say, to sum it all up into an umbrella. But it's out of necessity, too, that they're needing to go to LinkedIn to understand how do I write a resume? Is Should I be stressed out about this? How do I apply for a job? What's going on um, with the world and my work? And so I think too, it's like this new era, especially as we continue to, to have remote work or hybrid work too, of like where previous generations might be able to have these kind of hallway conversations, either with their team or other people in the industry. Like Gen Z has been a little bit deprived of that because of the pandemic. Um, so LinkedIn kind of stepping in and becoming this connector, this educator, this resource driver um, is, I think, slightly different than how previous generations might have treated the platform, too, which I think they are realizing and noticing. 
uh, I feel like this was not as out of left field as it as it may have seemed, but uh, especially when you consider, have you guys seen the new LinkedIn spot, uh, Welcome Professionals? Yeah, I think it came out maybe within a month. Um, yeah, Beth, what what do you what did you think of that spot? I thought it was good. I thought it was, um, you know, LinkedIn gets a lot of kind of slack for being a place for people to come brag about their achievements and just kind of dip in with the self-promotion and then jump out. I thought it did a good job of owning kind of the the character of what LinkedIn is, but pulling away from the kind of braggadocious image of LinkedIn. Yeah, I thought it was great. My, uh, my wife and I, we saw that spot and we both said, wow, that's a great spot because it really... It, it felt like it really pinpointed um, a true, true insight. So if you haven't seen it yet, go check it out. It's on YouTube. All right, let's get into our last thing of 2021. It's a fun one. The cosmetic brand Elf goes for a long-form, meme-heavy, holiday movie, movie in quotations, native to TikTok. My goodness, the sentences that I never thought I would say. Amanda, tell me what I'm talking about here. There's a lot of content packed into a little content. Um, so to your point, Elf Cosmetics, who, you know, they have a really robust TikTok presence. They work a lot with influencers. They create their own content, et cetera. They have released a movie, quote unquote, native to the app, which is essentially a content series. Um, and this is also my incredible fear of saying puns out loud. But this movie is called Big Mood, Big Elfing City. Um, so I hope to never say that out loud again, but it's fantastic to read and really funny. Um, but in this multi-part saga, they work with influencer Fia James, who's really well known on the platform, um, to create this story around Christmas. Um, it's produced in a very TikTok native way. So it leverages, you know, green screen backgrounds, photos. Um, there's a lot of cameos from other TikTok stars. And what's really interesting about this is they almost treated this as a little bit of a summation of all of the trends of 2021. So you'll see, you know, nods to the couch guy, to the salmon bowl, to all these little tiny TikTok niche trends. Um, and what I think is really interesting about this is two part. One, as you watch this, you see trends that feel like they were years ago because on the platform, these trends and these um, kind of functionalities are rolled out so fast that something that might have been six months ago feels like you saw it two years ago. So even seeing something in retrospective of, uh, you know, culmination of content on the app shows you how quickly this uh, culture moves and this content moves here. And then secondly, what I thought was interesting is, you know, TikTok's grown a lot. And this is very clear evolution of how brands have understood how they can work. You know, when TikTok first came out, it was sponsoring challenges mainly. And then brands started making paid advertisements. They started making co-created content. And now as TikTok uh, earlier this year rolled out longer form videos, it's another opportunity that's being used by advertisers to make different kinds of content that still feels right for the platform based on what they're trying to say. Um, so I thought this was interesting. It was really well done. It was obviously, you know, create co-created with the uh, platform influencers that they worked with very closely. Um, and made by people who understand the app, understand the trends, and understand how Elf can be part of that conversation. So really well done, TikTok ad. Tommy, do you think this is um, setting a playbook for how more brands can interact with TikTok? I do, actually, because I saw the headline first, and I was like, oh, God, a very meme-heavy referential TikTok video. 
couch guys back. Like, what is this going to be? I came in with the worst possible headspace. I was actually pretty surprised by how much I liked it and how much it wasn't cringe, for lack of, you know, very professional word, cringe. Uh, but I think it's, again, the same things you talk about over and over. It's co-creation. It's having people native to the platform who know how it works make your content with you. And I think it's really exciting because the long-form content series, I've never seen something like this before on TikTok from a brand. I've seen, like, you know, you people have series on TikTok, like, oh, like, you know, like about music or culture or whatever. They d- deep dive into that over their channel. But the fact that a brand made, you know, a little short film on a platform that was originally made for bite-sized little content you scroll through and kind of just, you know, mindlessly go through. I think the lesson that we can take away from this is that, again, long-form content that is, you know, made with people who know the platform, who you trust, who people trust, even if it doesn't age the best in a self-referential in a way that seems on paper to be not very, you know, entertaining or not very again, that may seem cringe. It works, I think, as long as you just keep the same principles that we've been talking about on this over and over, as long as you work with people, as long as you co-create. And I think it's a new kind of way that we can engage on the platform and make content on it. Beth, what do you think? I mean, I'm a huge Elf fan. Um, I just love their brand. I think also the fact that it's the holidays and the name of the brand is Elf is it's a good, it's a good moment. It's it a works. good seasonal yeah. way to rise to the top. But I think Tommy is exactly right. Like the the creators are going that know how to use the platforms or who we should all be working with because they're the experts. Yeah. All right, friends. Well, before we wrap, pun intended, um, I'd like to go around and ask everyone for one 2022 prediction. We sort of did this last year. We actually made an entire episode out of it. So let's go around quickly with one prediction or one hope or one wish we have for 2022 in social. Let's start with Amanda. Okay, I think my answer will be slightly obvious uh, given our conversations throughout the year. Um, I'm excited to see the growth of Metaverse and Web3 technology. And I think that as much as Metaverse, NFTs, crypto, these things sound like something that is kind of fast moving and a trend it's really um, indicative of a larger evolution of how we use the internet and how what we consider social media. You know, the places that we connect digitally online have looked a certain way for, you know, the last couple of decades. And we are right at the precipice of it becoming a totally different experience and one that I think the users get to create and mold and develop more than we ever have been before. So it's kind of broad, um, but I think that will end up being a large umbrella of the conversations that we continue having on this uh, podcast next year. So Tommy, what is your prediction for 2022? So my prediction going off of Amanda sort of is that I think actually the sort of hype bubble we have right now about NFTs and cryptos is going to burst in 2022. And I think that's actually a very good thing. I think once we stop seeing NFTs and crypto as this way to, you know, this kind of way to day trade almost and just kind of like the wild wild west of crazy growth and like hype on social platforms i think once that goes away we'll start to see this technology actually as the way forward i think nfts and all this should be sort of boring it's just a way to fundamentally help create a sustaining creator economy have one-to-one transactions and decentralize the process of the internet it isn't buying you know $100,000 worth of a single NFT of, you know, an ape. So I think 
that whole culture could possibly go away in 2022. And once it does, I think we'll be in a better position to really take this technology and go running with it once it's kind of removed from the noise that's really, I think, populated it for this past year. I think 2021 was the year of hype for the metaverse and NFTs and you know crypto. And I think once that goes away, it'll be a whole new ballpark and one that I'm much more excited in participating in. Beth, what is your prediction for 2022? You know, this might not be a popular prediction. I think that Pinterest is going to have kind of an evolution with some of its new creator tools that it's coming out with. And I think that we will continue to see more people, not just in the pandemic who are redoing their house, but people in general in their daily lives going to Pinterest for information, learning, and almost overlapping with YouTube in some ways. That's awesome. I think Pinterest is uh, a super interesting platform. And guys, I also did the assignment. And I'll just say my prediction for 2022. Um, you know, in 2021, we were surprised at how big things like Clubhouse got. And so in my prediction, I'm going to say audio is going to get bigger and more integrated into media plans. And you're just going to hear more audio stories about podcasts and music and things like that. So that's my prediction. It's nothing in depth, but I did the assignment. <laughs> All right, friends, we are done. Okay, quick program note. This is our last episode of the year. We'll see you in January. And if you don't already, please be sure to follow us on Apple and Spotify. Please send your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest or complaints, or maybe even like a fun holiday gift over to podcasts at gray.com. Thanks to Amanda, Tommy and Beth for joining us on the holiday party pod. And thanks to Danielle and Guy behind the scenes for always making us sound great. And we just want to thank you. And I hope you have a great holiday season. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin with support from post-producer Ned Martin. Additional support by John Jenkinson and Christina Hyde. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com. On this very special episode of Gray Matter, we're featuring an idea from within the walls of Gray, part of a project called Six Feet Over. And I sort of found myself creating these ceramic succulents and cacti. And so I came up with the idea to make unkillable plants. That was my submission. And it paints a picture of a time full of uncertainty, adversity, and loss, as well as new beginnings, joy, and creativity. Carving spoons was, was the thing that I really started kind of taking on during the pandemic and trying to fill the voids of time that we all of a sudden were, were met with. It helped us remove a bit of uh, fear and despair. It's designed to introduce and reintroduce us to each other by spotlighting our individual journeys in the strange moment in history, the COVID pandemic. This is Six Feet Over.